Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special Sunday Mailbag edition. The more Sundays, the more special, I think, Andrew. I, I'm assuming the specialness is compounding. I'm assuming it's getting bigger and more valuable, more special. Am I just kidding myself? No, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to back that. Yeah. Good man. The Andrew I'm talking to and talking about is, of course, Andrew Page, Mr. Andrew Page, Esquire, owner of no physical property, but a, an internet property, which, frankly, let's be honest, is the real estate of the 21st century. That internet property he owns is strawman.com, which is... Um, oh, you're so a, close. Um, Go on. You've I got know, it. I know. I know. Uh, no. Lost it. We're, Sorry, mate. What, what's we're a private mean? online investment club. And you are. That's I knew that. And you're right. We're digital, digital only. Um, yeah. On the tip of Check my tongue. Out. The Motley Fool, of course, does do financial advice and stock recommendations. We have between us the very best two. I don't know the Motley Fool. The very best two businesses on the internet when it comes to financial advice. Two best two businesses anywhere. Full I'm period. completely unbiased. Period. Correct. Correct. Just, just it. Drop mic drop. <laughs> Mate, uh, I won't drop the mic because I'll break it. And uh, as they say on the memes on social media these days, anyone who thinks a mic drop is cool has never dropped a microphone so i think that's probably true too <laughs> let's uh let's start with a question from ryan mate which really puts the cat among the superannuation pigeons mm-hmm. ryan says hi scott and andrew loving the tangents and the directions your macro talks can take you i also love the effort to balance the discussion with various points of view which brings me to my question what do you think of dr cameron murray's stance on scrapping super i recently listened to a podcast with cameron murray I've heard you mention many times that super is amazing and a wonderful thing. It saves people from themselves a lot of the time through force saving and investing. I've always been positive about it generally as a solution to my retirement in 30s, he says in brackets, young bastards. But a recent interview recently made me question the concept. He provided an extremely convincing argument about scrapping super and instead focusing on the aged pension system stating that it's superior in cost efficiency long-term and the premise of super saving people from themselves is basically an incomplete view. He made a point in this case around those who are not able to save through their own discipline, they still blow their super and end up on the pension anyway. He goes on to suggest super is an absurd cost on the country with the amount of people and companies it takes to maintain it and goes as far as to suggest Keating himself is black flipping on it in recent years. I definitely can't requote his words in such an eloquent way, but I found it a strong argument based on the facts he presented. I don't know if you are aware of his position on the topic, but if you have the time, it'd be extremely interesting to hear your perspectives on his view. Love the work you put in every week. I look forward to your podcasts. Regards, Ryan. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, Ram, I've had a couple of discussions with Cameron Murray on Twitter, who is a great follow. Uh, We agree on most things, actually, probably an overwhelming number of things, but we actually disagree reasonably strongly on super. Um, so I'll, I'll give my thoughts on it. And if you have some thoughts, I don't know if you're familiar with his views, but um, I'll give you some thoughts as to why mm-hmm. I disagree with, with uh, Cameron on this one. Um, Ryan, so look, he makes a good point, mate. And I think what I, what I would say is that neither of us, I, I think, I don't think it needs to be a binary outcome. I think a lot of the criticisms Cameron Murray has of Super are absolutely spot on because they relate to the way Super is currently run in Australia rather than what Super could be. So I will put myself down as a, as a fellow critic of some of the excesses, mistakes, miswhatevers uh, of superannuation as it currently exists. But I don't think the answer to those problems is to get rid of it altogether. Now, I get the idea of saying, you know what, if we're going to save money anyway, we could be just using, using the pension, uh, money that is not is not spent now is simply saved and therefore cut detracts from economic activity that future value of the shares as Cameron would argue and has argued on Twitter um, is a function of the money we spend anyway in society um, so that money rather than being taken for example in tax revenue or paid in pensions goes into those companies and then create more value and then we get that value at some future point through compounding those things are all reasonable views look i think he and i are very philosophically different i think he's um, probably a little further left on the spectrum than i am i don't say there's a criticism at all um and I get the idea of, hey, what if we just had a government-promoted system that worked and et cetera, et cetera. I, 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 here's my thing. I think super is absurdly expensive. I think it is distorted by vested interests and government to pander to, we said this on Friday, pander to people um, to get votes, 
uh, if it was up to me, for example, uh, I would limit the number of uh, types of investments that super can be put into. I would also limit the withdrawal rates. Uh, so you couldn't blow it all, as he says. And again, this, this is my point. I, I actually agree with most of his criticisms, but the solution isn't necessarily in my mind to get rid of it altogether. So let's not let people get lump sums. Take out a set percentage every year as a minimum and a maximum so that the income stream lasts. It's perfectly sensible. Yep. The couple of things I think- Can though, I just add one, one thing to that too, oh, is, yeah. is yeah. that I would, I would also put a cap on it because it, it shouldn't be a tax haven, right? So it's there to sort of save your retirement. Yeah, but if you've got $48 million in SIP, you know, it's kind of like, okay, at this point, there's some, some of the generous <laughs> incentive you, yeah. mechanisms yeah. can maybe, yes. maybe be eased back a bit. Correct. And so, by, by the way, I wouldn't cap super. I would simply tax superannuation withdrawals as income. Right. And that way, if you, if you, if you take out $4 million, well, guess what? That gets taxed at 48.5% or wherever mm-hmm. the tax rate mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. If that's what your superannuation balance is, then you, you pay the taxes, you take the money out. Um, I have a longer rant, Ram, on, on retirement income, which I'll get to at some point. Uh, but I'll leave that one. But yes, again, the, the criticism of that is absolutely real. Mm. The answer isn't, in my view, scrapping the system. Uh, the other thing I, I, I think I would say, for my, in my view personally, is simply that I and this is philosophical right ideological we know that part of super was because of the intergenerational issues the baby boomers you know i don't i don't think it's fair and reasonable if i have the potential and the resources say for my retirement that i put the obligation on my kids and their kids to throw money into my pension when i've retired right it seems to me and this is just a, this is just a philosophical argument maybe it's the old judeo-christian work ethic uh in different form uh but the idea of just like you know i I earn enough money. We all earn enough money. Superannuation exists so that my retirement needs can be taken care of by my own saving, not by my kids or my grandkids or someone else's kids having to put money in to pay my pension. I just think it's very reasonable that we save for our own retirements, not rely on other people to fund our retirements, particularly because, again, remember back in the, was it Germany in the 1930s? Um, the average the average life expectancy was something like five years after retirement, right? Now it's 30 years after retirement. And the cost of that is exorbitant. Um, and so I just think fundamentally, if I can put money aside and the system allows me to put money aside or makes me put money aside for my own retirement, that makes a whole lot more sense than leaving it for the kids. Mm. Yeah, look- Mate, I, You don't know Cameron's- No, no, I think you've outlined it well. So I wasn't, I wasn't previously familiar with it, but I, I, I found myself nodding along to some of the ideas. Mm. I mean, you're right to say it's a philosophical argument. Like, at the end of yeah. the day, again, let's just step back for a second. Like there's a certain amount of- um, uh, value produced by us all as a as a society, mm. you know. We'd like to think that we're, as a society we're sort of looked after in our in our older age, mm. and we've sort of mm. got the, mm. a nice retirement to look forward to. And then it's a question mm. of well, what system delivers that best? Is it something that the state can administer and do well, or is it something yeah. that you know? So, the the hard thing about this is under any model, under each model, it probably could work if done well. And, and that's yeah, that's yeah. the tricky part. So we're sort of doing it in, in, in a certain way. And we've, I think you've just acknowledged and so is Murray that, you know, that there's a lot of problems with that. But yes. uh, mm, I don't know if it's a, it, what do I go? Which way do I go on this one? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if, if there was a government system, for example, that just basically said, we'll guarantee you a minimum income in retirement and it'll be means tested. Yeah. So we're not giving it to the rich and those that are going to, already have a huge incentive to make sure they have a great retirement uh, already and that we're just going to do something really simple with this like put into a massive giant sovereign wealth fund that's very conservatively managed etc etc and we're just going to pay it all out of that you you could probably you could probably say well given given the returns out of that and what they would virtually be what they would otherwise Mm -hmm. be in the hands of of private citizens and all the efficiencies you get around administration and the rest of it maybe that is a maybe that is a better way of doing it but you can also see a lot of you can also see that as a giant honeypot for politicians to dip their fingers oh, into, <laughs> which is which I is where it breaks down. They're, so it's like on the on. Well, they already have in super, right? Yeah. Well, this is the thing. They already have. You know, yeah. the last government wanted to want, pull, let's pull money out for jet skis, and the current government want superannuation funds to use it for lower return, you know, social housing investments. Yep. And it, they, it is absolutely a honeypot. You're right. You know, and that's it's like it's a bad analogy, but it's sort of like you know how communism's a great idea in theory, just not in in practice. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, and I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to link yeah. it to that term. But do you, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's going, yeah, it's going to have that dimension to it, which is going to make it harder. So probably on that basis, mm. the, the trouble is, I, I'd go the other way. But then, but then the way that we've got at the moment has again mm. perverse incentives and stuff as well. It so does. it's, it's, it's tricky. And that's my argument. 
it's not a case of uh, of saying it needs to be this current system entirely or none of it. Mm. I think I think we can agree with the critiques and find a better solution. I think mine is better than Cameron's. He thinks his is better than mine. That's completely fine, and, and yours is too. Um, but I think I think we I think I don't want us to. And I'm sorry, I don't think Cameron is falling into this trap. But I just want people to be careful of the system has flaws. Therefore, let's get rid of it. Mm. So no, no, let's just fix the flaws. There's at least one other alternative. Yeah. And I think we should do that as well. Um, to your point, I so two thoughts quickly. I've made that point before about the, uh, we can invest, I think it's four grand or six grand for every kid at birth. Mm. And they would have more than the maximum super balance by 67. All right. So, you know, empl- governments wouldn't have to put the money in. It fluctuates share market investing, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Governments wouldn't have to put any money in. Employers wouldn't have to put any money in. You can literally say at, at birth, Here's the here's the Andrew Page birth bonus. Here's your six grand. Put it away now. When Andrew's six seven, he gets one point something million dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, how good's that? It's, you know, you don't have to pay ten percent of salary for every employee, mm-hmm. every employer for the next forty seven years of your working life. It's like this is it's just done. Damn, that, I, make, I, that I, makes I, a huge I amount of sense. Tomorrow. Yeah, no, I can get it's on board huge. with that. Um, yeah. If you if you're listening and you want to look read out about that, I wrote an article for the SMH years ago called "A Better Way to Fund Retirement." I think it's called. Um, so look that one up if you want to have a look. The other thing I do, mate, particularly speaking of retirement incomes and for all the super stuff, most of the superannuation boondoggle is that you know withdrawals are tax free. And the maximum you pay even in super in retirement is fifteen percent um, mm. earnings tax, right? Mm. Which is a massive, massive hole in the in the government deficit for the reasons you've said about you know multi million dollar balances that are effectively tax free. Mm. I mean, imagine having five million dollars in there. You earn you, you earn what? Let's say ten percent return. Mm. So you get five hundred thousand dollars of income. That's taxed at fifteen percent. Mm. So you lose seventy five grand of that. You get four hundred twenty five thousand dollars a year tax free. Mm-hmm. If that's not if that's not stupidly offensive, I don't know what it is. Yeah. Um, I would, you know, here's what I would do, mate. I would set the, I would ch- for retirees. If you're over 67, your tax-free threshold is the pension plus 20 grand, mm-hmm. and then every single dollar of income every old person owns uh, earns gets gets applied to that level. Yep. So if you own the pension, you pay, don't pay any tax on it. Mm-hmm. It's still taxable, but it's taxed at zero percent. Mm-hmm. So you get nothing. If you want to go and do some work, you get paid more than the pension. Great. You start to pay tax on that. If you get superannuation payments that are excess of that, yep. you pay tax on that as well. It just makes logical sense to me that we have a progressive marginal tax system for people in retirement. I just don't understand why you would not do it from a social policy perspective. Yeah. God damn, Mr. Phillips, you're on you're on fire today. You're making you're making a hell of a lot of sense. I can I can sign up to your, your newsletter. This is this is all all resonating for me. I think I think one of the the, the um. I think there's a name for it, but I think one of the best ways mm. when thinking about system design, which is, I guess, what, mm-hmm. what we are thinking about here, is that mm. you get to design the system. The catch is is that mm. you don't get to choose your station within, within yes. the system. Yes. Uh, yes. In, in other words, you might be at the lowest, the lowest of mm-hmm. the lot, at the pecking order, or you might be at the very top. Um, yes. And how would you design it on, on, on that basis? Because the, mm. the trouble we have now is, is that, well, your view and my view and everyone's view is going to be very much tainted by where we sit and what system would be best for us. So there'll be some people listening to what you say saying that's outrageous because, you know, it's yeah. just, they're going to be worse off under a different way of, of, of looking at things. So I think, I think and it, it just ensures that you get something that most people win on. It's a very good and elegant way of thinking about it. Sadly, not the way that we tend to go about designing policy, <laughs> uh, the way that we do things. But yeah, uh, do you know the name of it? Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. N- I don't sure. But I don't know the name. Mm, of it, no. Anyway, not sure. Um, good question, right? Yes. Good. I- yeah. Great question. And by the way, uh, don't just sign up to our newsletter. We've got a podcast. We rant like this all the time. Um, don't encourage us. <laughs> here's a great question from Lockie, mate. Hi, Scott and Ram. It's fun to send you an email because it still exists, despite Andrew's disgust. And I would have faxed this question if I knew how or had a homing pigeon nearby, but this will have to I, suffice. This, this is ringing bells. Have, have we not answered this question? I, well, no. Okay. I don't think so. I may have read this to you separately. I hope I haven't answered it already. It's a great intro. Keep going. going. Keep going. Let's keep going. I'm 29 years old. And yes, Scott, I ride a skateboard every now and then. I think I I I pre-read this one last week as a bit of a teaser. Okay. I think that's what I did. Uh, Ride a skateboard every now and then and play video games still just to rock the socks off every old person on the planet. I can almost smell the loathing resentment frothing through your gritted teeth (laughs) with uh, smiling emoji eyes. Uh, Thank you, Lucky. Anyways, I'm lucky to be alive. I have a working body and a brain that works sometimes. It's not something I take for granted. And after just recovering from a small bout of COVID, I rediscovered how asking for some help can be a life changer. 
It's not a big question, and it's perhaps it's best left for the company directly. However, it's kind of like asking the salesperson what they think about the car they're selling. Of course, they're going to say it's a great investment and you should buy it right away. So that's why I thought I'd come to you, legendary guys. RNG, was it? Or someone like that. Mm -hmm. Oh God, now I'm really showing my age, says Lockie. <laughs> anyway, to the question. I'm an investor, new to the game, loving it. And I've purchased myself some Telstra shares a few months back, thinking the company will still be around in 10 years. It's not a great investing thesis now I think about it. I've lost confidence in Telstra lately, he says. It's not that they're a bad company, it's just what's making them a great company? How are they going to be or to retain the title of the telecommunications company in Australia? What plans do they have to be their own worst enemy and create something that will disrupt the telco industry to make them the go-to company? It sure doesn't seem like their individual consumer prices are the answer. What about their larger infrastructure and 5G plans? What's to stop the other telcos from disrupting them in this space? What else is out there to be disrupted? It's probably too many questions I'm asking, sorry, but I love your podcast and how they work on the podcast machine. It's even better now you guys have come up with a new drinking game. Say his name now just for fun. Ah, oh, come on, Andrew. You know you want to, says Lockie. Okay, rant over. <laughs> By definition, you two are great fun to listen to. Cheers, full on Lockie. Then he says, P.S. What the hell is Mastodon, Scott? It's more confusing than Andrew's young man crypto hoo-ha. <laughs> he says, insert old man shaking fist emoji. I know I'm younger, but let me have this, he says. P.P.S. Serious question for Andrew. What has Bitcoin got to offer that investing in other shares does not? <laughs> and we will hold that one, Lachlan, for the next episode we're going to, to uh, record. Good question. Uh, love it, Lockie, mate. <laughs> great, great questions, mate. Thanks for the fun email. You've, you've posed it beautifully. Uh, yes, we're old. Uh, yes, I know you would have faxed the email, the pigeon, homie pigeon to the question, but thank you for getting on the email anyway. I really like Lockie's question, mate, and it, it's partly about Telstra, but it's also partly about investing in general. Um, I, I often think through... There's some defensive characteristics for some businesses. And I get a lot of investors say, well, the cost going around 10 years. And I say to myself, cool, yeah, get it. <laughs> or even recurring income, recurring revenue. What's got this great recurring revenue? It's like, well, yeah, but just because it's going to be the same in 10 years isn't necessarily a great investing strategy. So we talked before, and I think we may even have a pre-record or something about this kind of idea, but there's, there's quality and then there's value or price or, or the right price to pay. And both of those, to some degree, impact investing returns I, I guess i'll ask up front what do you think of telstra as a business and what do you think of telstra as an investment then we might go through some of the uh the, the broader questions that Lockie's question mm. poses i'll just start by saying i think his first question was absolutely the right question that's where i start you know is the company mm. going to be around in 10 years yeah so i don't don't yeah. don't knock you so that's, that's a great i mean that that is if the answer to that is no then there's no point doing any other mm -hmm. work <laughs> yeah, so right. uh unless you unless you're like picking up pennies in front of steamrollers um, look, I, look, I think Telstra is a perfectly okay company, but <laughs> but the 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 point that I would make is that it's it's got nowhere to go. It's already the dominant player. It's sort of like for it to grow in market share in an environment, as Lucky rightly points out, is becoming increasingly competitive is harder and harder and there's there's more and more disruption potential as as the pace of technological innovation changes and stuff all the time. So I look at this company as right. a very and anyone who's worked for a large institution knows what I'm talking about here. But you get a lot of institutional mm -hmm. bloat and it's <laughs> it's hard to yep. define but you know it when you see it type type thing. You know, it's just things are slow, things are inefficient, things are bureaucratic. Um now, look, it still throws off, mm. I don't know, gosh, I'd have to check the financials, but it's still, let's have a quick look here. It still throws off $20 billion in, well, generates $20 billion in <laughs> revenue each year and $1.7 billion dollars in, in profit. So oh, it really yeah. comes down to sort of value. <laughs> I, I just feel as yeah. though, so to the first point, is it around in 10 years? Yeah, I think Telstra's got a very good chance of being around in 10 years. Is it mm. bigger in 10 years' time? Well, it's like, well... In real terms, take a, take inflation out of the equation. I don't know if you can really say if it is much bigger. Mm. Um, certainly, growth is going to be hard hard to come by. I think unless they just pull one out of the bag or make some great acquisition. So it's always possible. But you know that the thing is with a company like Telstra, it has to be a really substantial acquisition to even move the dial. They might buy the best yeah. you know startup in the world, and five years later, it hasn't right, even right. you know it's a rounding error kind of thing. They could buy they could buy uh, Strawman and the Motley Fool together, and it'd be a rounding error. You wouldn't notice it. You wouldn't notice it. Yeah, and and so and so, 
and eighty percent of that because they've got nothing to do with all that cash, they pay it out in dividends, and that's a very attractive thing. So about eighty percent payout ratio of all the, of of after tax profit they return to shareholders in the form of cash with franking credits. So so that's I mean that's that's still appealing, and then it just you land inevitably once you've sort of ticked as many boxes as you think is appropriate, you you land at well valuation. And the way I look at it is, I would say, and I've used this r- rule of thumb before, which I just I find a very elegant one. Um, despite its simplicity, which is you're getting about a 3.7% yield at this point in time. Maybe let's round it up to close to, I don't know, 5% with with franking credits. And then let's say you think that on average, dividends will more or less grow at sort of 2 3% on average over the years. Now, don't forget, they've been pretty static for a while now. So let's actually have a look. Um, in fact, since 2019, they've been pretty much 16 cents. So they, they haven't they haven't moved. So I'm being generous, I think, by probably assuming as much as 3% growth. <laughs> but let's yep. say that we add those two numbers together. So 5% franked up yeah. yield um, uh, mm-hmm. and, and 2% growth, say. So it's got, you've got a 7% return. So if I hold this for 10 years and, I've, that, and I'm happy with that overall level of return, um, then okay, go for it. But I, for me, it's like, no, not even close, <laughs> not even close. And I, I personally, again, it's not a question of being overly critical to Telstra. It's better than a lot of companies on the ASX. But as we've often said, that my goal here is to, I don't need more than 15, 20 companies tops in my portfolio for, for all the benefits of diversification. So the more, the more relevant question is, is this, is this in the top 20 opportunities right now? And for me, it's, it's a no. If this was to drop to a point where Telstra was yielding 7% gross up, that becomes a very different story, even for someone who's very growth focused like me, because it's kind of like, man, this is it's not it's not it's money for jam. It, it's not it's not buying Ferrari kind of money, but it's sort of like yeah, very yeah. very adequate return and very very low risk adjusted return as well. So, yeah, it's it's a question of preference, but it, but for a lot of people, particularly those in retirement, particularly those who are risk averse, particularly those who've got a lot of capital, you just sort of think, well, yeah, I could put a decent sum here, just enjoy the fully frank dividends. And know that it's not going to knock it out of the park, but at the same time, it's probably not something I'm going to lose ninety percent on. Yep, I think that's that's spot on. I own Telstra shares. I've said before, I own them because it's in an income portfolio that we have them before. Excuse me. That I um I, I run. So uh, our trading rules. I could ask for dispensation to sell it, but I don't. Um, and the trading rules are that we can't, without dispensation, sell anything that we have as a positive recommendation. So I made the recommendation that our income investors should buy it. I think it's fine for income. I think it's probably a good combination, a good addition to an income portfolio if you're looking for income first. Um, Notwithstanding, people can do it through capital gains and selling stuff. There's other ways of getting income. But if you're looking for a dividend flow, fully frank dividend flow, Andrew, to your point, I think it's a a good inclusion. So that's why it's there. Um, I, Lucky, I love your questions, mate, because I think a lot of investors struggle. A lot of people who, a lot of investors do the FOMO thing and will never buy Telstra, right? I think that's a mistake. Uh, just to go FOMO, not to not buy Telstra. Uh, but a lot of investors who then think further do the same as you did, which is I'll buy the business that's going to be here in 10 years' time. And it's just not enough necessarily. Mm. Uh, I agree with Andrew's expectation of growth. I don't think you're going to get market-beating growth. That's why it's not a recommendation in the other services I run uh, because I don't think it's going to beat the market from here. We, we sold it from ShareAdvisor a while ago. Um, I had to have it in the others. Uh, because it, it, it's it's a perfectly fine business. It'll be okay. It'll it'll continue to be around. By the way, earnings have declined slowly over the last 10 years, almost consistently. So in fact, rather than growing, uh, they've been declining. Uh, it's hard to pay a cheap enough price for a declining business. It's not cheap on any of those bases for me. So um, it, it's losing share. Uh, it's a very tough market. Mobile telephony is really hard, very competitive. Uh, lower margins, the NBN reselling. Again, same thing. You're reselling a commodity. So it's very hard to make some money. They've done a great job getting it uh, you know, high prices for the same thing using their brand to really leverage their returns. So they're doing a great job running the business they've got. Um, there's a, a great Buffett quote. There's always a Buffett quote um, to the to the extent to the gist anyway of um, when a, a business with a, a, a mediocre reputation is run by a management with a reputation for brilliance. It's normally the reputation of the business that remains intact. In other words, good managers, you can't make a silk purse out of a sousy mm. is, is really what Buffett's mm. saying here. No matter how good you are, um, a little bit like Telstra, right? I think Al Joyce has done a great, uh, Qantas, sorry. But Al Joyce has done a great job at Qantas. Now, no matter what, you might disagree with his view on baggage handling or stacking staff or strikes, and that's a whole different thing. He's, he's managed to keep Qantas from going broke. That in itself, if you run an airline for a decade and it doesn't go broke, you've done a spectacular job just to keep well, it Well, if alive. the government backstops that's you, that, you get less credit for it. That's I'll, a whole, I'll throw, well, I'll throw that in there. 
at mate, we negotiated that. Yeah. I mean, that, that's almost my point, yeah. right? He's yeah. like, he's literally, yeah. whatever, whatever you agree, whatever you agree or disagree with what Qantas has done, he's kept it afloat, which is which is enough. Um, other businesses, Telstra, I don't know how good you, I don't care who you put in charge of Telstra, you can only do so much with it mm. because of the reasons Andrew's mm. talked about. Um, can I can I just add too? What, what's there's there's um, speaking of opportunity costs. There's mm. you, you're getting four percent on term deposits now. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you know what I mean? And that's zero yeah. risk. Yeah, that's yeah, zero yeah. risk. So if I'm getting three point seven percent, hundred percent franked dividend from Telstra, as I say, you can gross that up to sort of make sure you're, you're comparing apples with apples. But for me, it's a, it's, yeah, it's really you know, again, as you say, yep. if, if that's if that's what it takes for for you to be happy, it, it's it's fine. But it's just I would I would want a much better value, I think, because just just because of that comparison that's there. It might be that after a period, and and don't forget their their decline in earnings. There has been a factor there of the structural shift away from landlines, and that was you know they're they're having to sort of fill a hole as it as it gets deeper in other areas and the rest of it. So maybe there, I'm sure there's people out there that, that are more optimistic on the growth outlook but you you kind of need to be I think if 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 you wanted a total return that was market beating yeah I think that's I think that's a, a really good way to put it so um, yeah just be careful to overweight you always want to take the risks into account but if you de-risk everything enough then there's nothing left and that's kind of I think the challenge with Telstra I'm not saying well, you should should know it Lockie I, I don't I, I do own it but I wouldn't if I was going to try and put together a brand new portfolio to beat the market because um, I don't think it's going to and I think if you don't if you're not going to beat the market then buy an ETF and get the market return yeah. it, the, the great thing about ETFs particularly the broad based index ETFs like Vanguard you can literally get the market return once one time you say well I've got to invest in something until at least I get X with Telstra at least, that, at least that's better than nothing mm. Nothing doesn't need to be your benchmark. The the, the ETF return, um, to my mind, is is just it's just so easy to get mm. um, that it really, really, really. You know, if, you, if you're not sure or you're not going to get the market return, I don't think there's any excuse not to own those to own those businesses anymore as, for what it's mm. worth. But also, Lockie, you're a young bloke, and I hate you as you would expect. Uh, here's one from Craig, mate. Hi, Scott and Ram. Love your work, and I'm a subscriber to two of the full services and a premium member of that private online investment club. <laughs> it's a love. I assume you mean straw man. Of course. <laughs> there is only I've got, one. I've got, a, I've got a name check it. As much as the joke is funny, I've got a name check it. It's, it's strawman.com. Check it out. Exactly. I'd like to hear your thoughts on patience when buying small cap stocks. Man, you're coming to the right place. I'm a big believer in the philosophy that the best time to plant a tree, or buy stocks, he says, was 30 years ago, but the second best time is now. Whenever I decide to same. add to my portfolio, I find that I set what I think is a reasonable limit price and if it hasn't settled by towards the end of the trading day, I amend the limit to the current price to try and get my order through. I'm struggling whether with whether this is the dreaded FOMO or is it aligned with the philosophy above? How patient are you guys when you can't, when it comes to placing an order? Cheers from Craig. Now you're our small cap specialist. <laughs> Uh, what's your what's your approach to using limit? So orders? there's a caveat here, but generally speaking, <laughs> I if I've made the decision to to buy and I think the value is reasonable now, I just go ahead and buy it. So let's say it's a small cap stock and it's twenty three cents a share. You know, maybe at the end of the day, I could have gotten at twenty two and a half cents, or you know, maybe a day later I get at eighteen cents. You know, who who knows? But I I think when you're dealing, particularly with with companies mm. with pretty decent growth opportunities. You, th- those they they're actually big percentage differences between twenty two cents and twenty cents. You know, it's ten percent in that. It feels like a mm. lot. You know, and one is obviously the lower the better that you, the price that you get. But success for these businesses, you fast forward the you know the clock five years. You hope you're hoping for a business that's worth eighty or ninety cents type thing, and it's kind of like, do I really care? Um, and and particularly when when you play those games, you've got to remember mm. there is a risk to it, and the risk is that it just never gets to your limit price. And because you wanted to pay twenty one and a half, and the market only happened to stop at twenty two cents before it went to eighty cents, you've you've got you've got all those kinds of things. And and on the the reverse side too, and uh, you know it's riskier end of the market, it could go to eleven cents, could go to eight cents, could go to three cents. Yeah. Yeah. But in each case, it's like, well, whether I bought at eighteen cents or twenty two cents, it sucks. You know, and I was wrong and I've lost, you know, have I lost more under one scenario? Yeah, but like really in the grand scheme of things, it's still it's still I think that's how that's how you weigh it up. The the only caveat, as I said, is that sometimes when you're at this end of the market, there are liquidity constraints. So just as, you know, for example, if you were wanting to to buy ten thousand dollars all at once, there might only be three thousand dollars available at the lowest price offer. 
and then there's a big price step up and like so you you know just going ahead and whacking a market order on you could mm-hmm. end up shooting yourself in the foot and just blowing through three levels of of, of orders and pushing the price up 15 percent in the in the process and overpaying essentially more than, than than you need to through an own goal so in those cases i think you just you, you just put a limit order in and every now and again i'll check on it and i'll maybe if, if there's more depth that's come in the lower offer I'll, I'll fill it up but i'm really just trying to I've I've decided I want it. I think it's about right in the price. Just let's just let's just get it done. Mm-hmm. I like that, mate. I like that. I um, yes, I I've I've can't I'm trying to find it. And I can't find it now. The uh, Warren Buffett um, famously was going to buy Walmart shares, and in the in the good old days, bad old days, uh, you he, he would literally call a bloke and say, "Hi, hey, I want to buy some Walmart shares. Here's how much I'm prepared to pay." Right? You, you it didn't have didn't use Comsec. Uh, I suppose you don't when you're a billionaire. Um, <laughs> he said, I'm, "I want to pay this price," and the other guy said, "No, no, no I'll only sell it that price." Now the price differential from memory was two cents a share. I think that was about right. Mm. And I think I remember, and I, I, I'm making this up, uh, but I, I, I did do the work, so I'm working off my own memory. It cost him basically so two cents difference. Buffett says, "No, it gets stuffed." It cost him $8 billion because the shares subsequently went up so far that the fact he didn't make that trade, if had he, had he simply ponied up the extra two cents a share, when the shares went up and up and up and up and up, he would have made $8 billion on the trade. Wow. So quibbling over the couple of cents, I'm pretty sure those numbers are right, quibbling over a couple of cents cost him $8 billion. Now, we're not every company is Walmart and every company is going up that far. I think the point I'm making is the one that Andrew made in reverse, which is just that... Um, you know who knows where the price goes next if you like it at approximately the right value the bigger the far bigger question is always whether you've got your assessment of the business and its quality and its future right the chance that a couple of cents is going to make a difference or a couple of percentage points is going to make a difference to your purchase price is just not worth doing now you know of course here's the other thing so your 23 cent example andrew Mm. uh, maybe it's 18 cents tomorrow maybe it's 24 cents maybe it never trades at 23 cents again like Mm. the walmart story Mm. uh you know and so if you're right about the business uh, now, if your if your analysis, by the way, is so fine that you, that a two percent move in the share price changes your outcome meaningfully, then you're kidding yourself because no one can be that that absolute, right? Mm. The shares, the twenty three cent shares, are probably worth somewhere between twenty and twenty five cents a mm. share, maybe. Mm. You know, that, and that's frankly generous, right? Those are big gaps, right? That's fifteen percent or ten percent mm. either side. Yeah. But you know, it, it's either going to be as Andrew says, a, a five cent stock or a dollar stock at some point mm. or somewhere in between, mm. and. You know, getting the quality question right is more important. So honestly, is it FOMO? Kinda, because you are saying, I just want them, I'll just get them. So yes, you're right. It, it absolutely is FOMO. But not in a bad way in the sense that if you want to buy the shares, buy the shares. And if, you know, if, the, if they were that price, here's the other thing, you set the limit price trying to get a good deal normally. Because mm-hmm. I was 24 cents, I'll put a limit at 23 and see if I can get a good deal. And we kind of kid ourselves. It's like when you go to the car yard, right? They put the price of the cars up. So when you haggle, you feel like you won. They realize you haven't, they haven't lost anything because they were already expecting to sell it for that price anyway. Mm. Everyone walks away happy. It just, it's just through the confluence of events. So yeah. if the shares were 24 cents, you'd put a limit at 23. And you'd be happy you got 23. If they're 23 cents, you put a limit at 22. Mm. Um, you know, we, we just anchor so desperately to current prices or immediate past prices. So, uh, yeah, look, honestly, be careful of percentages. If it's a two-cent stock, there's only one and three cents is massive. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not saying pay anything different, but get it, get it roughly right. And if you like the shares, if you like the business, you like its future, and you like it enough, do you think there's enough upside? It's, you should be buying a business with enough upside. You don't have to be so absolutely accurate with the buy price. Um, buy the shares anyway is my personal it's hard, it's hard because you do have to put a line in the sand somewhere, I suppose. But yes, it's, exactly. it's more of a spectrum. Yeah. You know, it's like there's a, yes. I don't know, there's a, there's a cold bath and you're, you're putting hot water yes. into it. it you know, it, for a while there, it's just too chilly to get in. At a point, it gets nice. Mm. It doesn't mean it can't get even yeah. warmer and, and tastier. But, <laughs> but, true, but true. Uh, you know, it, it, that's the point, I think. It's going for the the perfect price or the best price, and that yeah. sort of sometimes yeah. I know I know um, the listener's not saying this, but sometimes you know you think oh just, I want to get that bottom tick, and then it's all off to the races after yeah. that. It just, it just never <laughs> ever 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 happens, and you know true, so so true. don't chase it. Is 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 the bath warm enough? Yep, get in. Yeah, I, I, particularly because most people I don't know whether this is true about Craig. Most people are not picking a price they think as as have calculated as the intrinsic value. Mm. He's not bidding 21 and a half cents because he thinks it's exactly what it's worth. He's bidding 22 cents on the 23 cent stock hoping he can get a better mm. deal. And that's kind oh, of- we all want a better deal. That, that's yeah. a bit FOMO-y. And, of course, of course. And it's not unreasonable, but don't miss the don't miss the forest for the trees. Yep. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. 
one from Michael, who says, Dear Scott and Andrew, thanks for the informative and entertaining podcast. You are both passionate, knowledgeable, and great fun to listen to. For what it's worth, I think Scott is HG and Andrew is Roy, especially given his nickname is Rampaging. Roy uh, Slavin. But that's just me, he says. Feel free to paraphrase or split my questions however you, you wish if you'd like to use them. Are you going to jump in then, mate? I was just, just going to say, I'm pretty sure people just write in questions, but you add that introduction of uh, the, the flattery part at the start. I'm pretty sure that's just you. Editor- Our listeners will never, ever know. <laughs> <laughs> Dear Scott, you are very smart and very funny. You're also very good looking and I like you. No. Yep. All right. Uh, yeah. No, no one believes that. I've got to keep my list keep, reasonably, keep it reasonable. Uh, reliable. Yeah, yeah. Michael says, I finally got into learning about investing when my daughter was born in January and I thought it was time to get my act together for her benefit. Congratulations. With her asleep on my chest, I started reading, watching and listening and came across The Motley Fool, starting with a subscription to Share Advisor in January and adding Dividend Investor recently. I highly recommend those things. As I've learned more and reflected on what I want from my investing, I've come to prize dividends and growing income more highly than anything else particularly after finding Peter Thornhill, we're both fans of his, and reading about his approach. My approach so far is I hold three ETFs from when I first started in January and then 27 companies from then on, all of which pay dividends. I use Share Advisor, Dividend Investor and your podcast as idea generators and then do some of my own research. The plan is to never sell anything and keep reinvesting dividends along with whatever spare income I have to keep growing the income stream until much later down the track well, I can add some or all of the dividends to my income from super. I'd then like to pass on my entire portfolio to my children and charity, hoping my kids will keep adding it to them themselves. I know I'll have some investments that don't work too well in the long run, but I don't want the stress of trying to work out if or when to sell, if I can avoid it. And I think I'll just pick my best idea each time I have some extra money and either add shares or buy a new company. Keeping in mind you can only give general advice, are there any weaknesses to an approach like mine? It kind of sounds similar to the approach you mentioned that the Motley Fool founder in the USA took. I tend to almost completely ignore share prices and focus on growing profits and growing dividends from my companies. Is there something I'm missing? Wow, what a great question. You reckon, Ram? Yeah, look, I, good, huh? I, I, no, I'm, I'm not going to fault it. I mean, you, 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 you can really get into splitting hairs in this game and argue mm-hmm. the toss as to which is the best, most optimal approach. And a lot of it will depend on this, this sort of the theoretical possibilities versus the ability to execute on, on yeah, said, totally, on said totally. strategy and the rest of it. But what yeah. I've always liked about that approach is its simplicity. And um, there's, I'm trying to gone blank on the examples, but there are, there are, there's some really wonderful stories of people who have just done nothing special, but they've just done something smart and something very consistently which is as as they say whenever there's a spare bit of money they best buy some shares and they never sell now when you look at that you think well actually in hindsight there was a bunch of stuff that went to zero or near zero and just didn't do anything and it could have and would have and should have been sold out and reallocated and all these fancy kind of stuff but as as things evolve and progress and you continue just to add money month after month after month and continue to add to your winners as they be, be continue to do well it, it actually ends up being an insanely well, given enough time is the is the is the key qualifier here but given enough time it actually becomes a pretty good strategy so you you'll probably find that there could even be 5 6 year periods where it's like geez nothing happens so it's pretty brutal and would test test the fortitude of even the best investor but I, I, it's it's when when I've looked at examples of that in the past, it is surprisingly effective. Mm. I'm going to yes, um, I'm going to use your term, mate, which is opportunity cost. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Michael, I think this is a perfectly great approach. I think it'd, it'd be it's a very 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 good approach. You'll be very very happy. I think uh, I don't know, no guarantees or promises. You'll be very happy with the outcome by the time you retire and then pass your portfolio to your kids. Again, just to uh, add quickly does, that provided you stick with it, like that's kind of the key to it because you, you've, you've got to go. You just, and and it, sometimes it'll be much harder to prosecute than at others. So that's what I was going to say. So the, the downside of your approach is you are not allocating your money, your entire portfolio to your very best ideas at any given point in time. So imagine a time in 10, let's take Telstra, right? Let's say Telstra was a market beating, just back to the last question, was a great market beating idea 10 years ago and you bought the shares really cheaply and they're going, well, if I sold these, I could buy something else I like more and get a better return. So it is probable 
that you will have a decent chunk of your portfolio eventually in some ideas that simply aren't your best ones and you could actually do better theoretically by reallocating that money to better ideas. You know, the company that's going to go up 10, 15% this year versus the one that went up last year, maybe it's the same, maybe it's not. So theoretically, and to your point, Andrew, you know, theory and practice are different. Theoretically, this is not the absolute optimum stock picking strategy. If you could find a strategy that said, I'm going to know when to sell, what to sell, when to buy, what to buy. Um, you know, I'm going to put my money, for, take my money from worse ideas, put it in the new, better ideas. And that's what stock pickers do all the time. Mm. I have a portfolio. Andrew has a portfolio. That's pretty much what I do. Our portfolios are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Not, not yeah, too yeah, often, and, and, but definitely there's a reallocation. Yeah. yeah. And it's theoretically what you should do if you could get it right enough, often enough. You could, so you could get more, Michael, if you were good at it and if you got it right and if you wanted to. It's possible. The flip side to Andrew's point about the execution is what, what I love about your approach is as long as you do add regularly, and I, I'll talk about that a little bit longer in just in a second, but you are minimizing the chances that over trading or you know, chasing last, the last winner, all those behavioral biases that, that lead us to make bad decisions. You're not selling. And then if you, if you sell and buy something else, you've got to be right twice. Mm. You've got to be right on the one you're selling. Then you'll be right on the one you're buying. And maybe it's going to be worse. Maybe it's going to be better. And maybe you do, or maybe you don't. Maybe you give up halfway through, or maybe it's too hard. All those things are potentially true. So again, theoretically, you could do much better than what you're doing. Theoretically, you could also do a whole lot worse than what you're doing. And I think that's a very, very, very good strategy that you're pursuing. Mm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw one challenge to you uh, nicely foolishly kindly which is and part of your thing you say uh, i'm going to uh plans to never sell anything reinvesting dividends along with whatever spare income i have to keep growing the income stream i'm just going to say to, to andrew's point i would challenge you and everyone listening to not wait until there's spare income but actually prioritize investing as the thing you do before you spend anything else mm. So you spend your spare income, <laughs> don't invest your spare income. Uh, and I say that just because, to Andrew's point, life can sometimes get in the way. And or you can find times where like, well, I've got some spare cash, but the market's kind of a bit scary right now. Does it really spare cash? Oh, I probably do need to buy a new X computer, pair of jeans, um, you know, car, whatever. Um, so the only thing I think, I think you will be very, 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 very happy with the strategy as long as you continue to add money regularly and I would try and make it a religious experience. I don't mean uh, in, a, in a faith sense, but religiously adding money every single whatever, day, week, month, fortnight, pay period, quarter, whatever it is that you do, try everyone listening, not just Michael, try desperately to make this a regular thing. Every time I'm paid, I put a certain amount of money out of my pay, literally on payday, gets transferred to my investment account without fail. Just what I do. And so, because if I waited until I saw what was left, I might spend the extra bit or I might do something else with it. So that's the only addition I'd, I'd make. I have a very high level of confidence, Michael, that you will get back to us in 45 years when Andrew and I are still doing this podcast, <laughs> even though no one's listening. Uh, Warren and Charlie From style. the nursing home. Uh, I think you'll be very, very happy. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. Anything else on that, mate? No, I mean, look, it, it's, the, the, I, I guess the final point I'd make is that there's, Again, there's it's not a binary kind of thing. There's there's the investor that rebalances every day, and there's the one that might look at it once yes. every 12, 24 months kind of <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah. So, and yeah. they're very very different things. So you you get to sort of in a lot of these kind of deliberations. You kind of get to have a little bit of eat your cake and eat it. Have your cake and eat it too. So, I I said before that I tend to be someone who rebalances. I don't want to give anyone the impression that this is like I'm on mm. the screen trading daily or even weekly or monthly. But I actually mentioned to you off air just before we started that not too long ago I just sort of tweaked a few things and and wasn't a wholesale change. Just basically sold down a bit of some things and bulked up others. Like really just at the fringes. But with that view of you know things. You, you you build a portfolio and then you know they take on a, it takes on a life of its own. Some things go well, some things don't. It just and then you wake up one day and the the structure and the composition and the weighting of it is very different as to how you would design it today. So as I said, there's nothing wrong with just leaving mm. that and then just continuing to tip in and just adding the stuff to the better ideas. There's a reweighting function within all of that, but you can you can make more. Um, direct changes i think and do it really on a very um occasional basis and still have a a, a pretty good um and I, I think reasonably improve your chances too because some some things you will look at and you'll just think gosh it's down 90 percent um it's never coming back you know 
I, I, I could just sell this now. You know, what, what, it's never going back to where it yeah. was. Yeah. You know, yes. It, yes. even if even if it does go to zero from here, it's not. There's, what am I trying to say? It's a small amount of money, but it's a small amount of money you've got zero faith in, and you you yeah. might as well just sell it down and, and reallocate it elsewhere. So you can kind of go halfway yep. between the two extremes. Agreed. Uh, Michael, second question. You'll love this one, mate. I can. I, I, sometimes I love the fact you haven't seen those questions because I know what's coming. It's like, oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> the second thing he says, I would like to ask is about the share market game. I'm a high school teacher and I wanted to pass on what I've learned to my students as well as I thought introducing the ASX share market game would be a great way to do it. I hosted it for the first time with my school this year and got soundly thrashed by nearly every single one of my students. I tried to slowly introduce some basic information and YouTube videos from Buffett, Lynch, etc. along the way. That's great. Given the game is only for 10 weeks, I'm not sure if the students actually learned too much of what I was hoping they would. Many students who did well just focused on short-term trading and share price charts. And one who led most of the game picked bigger as his investment because he loves cheese. <laughs> what do both of you think about the share market game as a vehicle for learning about investing? How would both of you approach investing? Oh, sorry, approach introducing investing to high school students. Thanks again for everything that you both do and your willingness to share it with everybody. Full on and cheers, Michael. Oh man, what reckon, that is, mate? I, I just what a what a great teacher. Um, like it's such yeah, an awesome. it's such a great idea. Um, the the trouble with it was, and Michael just hit the nail on the head, which is that ten weeks doesn't teach you anything. In fact, it does teach you things. It teaches you the wrong things. And he, <laughs> he makes the observation that everyone trended towards a, a speculative trading strategy. Well, they ha- you have to. If, if you if you made me play play the game, I'm not going to invest how I normally invest. I'm I'm just going to yeah. be taking some bets. And in fact, I'm going to go to the really risky as risky as I can end of the spectrum mm-hmm. because. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm either going to die, uh, die a hero. What's the word? You know, be a hero or die trying. <laughs> d- yeah, d- yeah. And and that's who wins. <laughs> that's who wins these competitions. It's always a, yes, so. Yes. It's straw man, and this is why you probably thought I'd, I'd like this. We we do run paper portfolios for our members, <laughs> and that's how they yep. sort of signal their intentions and the rest of it. Yeah. But but and I no surprise to any of our members. Obviously, they'll that we have different level scorecards. So there's leaderboards that go over three months, six months, twelve months since inception. The three month one will fluctuate around like nobody's business you know yeah. today's heroes is tomorrow's villain and it just it just mm. because it's just so much noise in 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 all of that and it just i don't think anyone takes it too seriously because you can do the dumbest things and get rewarded and you can do the smartest things and get <laughs> and get punished by it so what i would i would i, I think the the lessons of long-term compounding and ignoring fluctuations and all this great Buffett kind of stuff is just not going to be taught in that time. If I was in a teacher in, in um, trying to teach it, I guess I'd start the school year with, with a portfolio. You, a year is still not an especially long amount of time, but it's, it's more time to, to allow some of those lessons perhaps to sink in and, 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 and be taught. Yeah. Um, yeah. Share my game is terrible. Uh, woeful, awful, uh, I was in, I was invited to be part of the Sydney Morning Herald or the Fairfax papers or now nine papers used to do I don't know if they still do a, a four weekly you know share market challenge kind of mm-hmm. thing I was, I was invited I used to contribute articles oh to that's it. where they had invited, the um, you know, the dartboard as one of the yeah exactly yeah. exactly and I was invited to do it I, was, I just said look I politely said I, I'd rather not thank you um, I, I I have nothing to add if I win or if I go code terribly it's due to luck it's not my skill and there's nothing to be gained for it as a as, an, as a financial advisor not that I was oh come on I was gonna say not that I was holier than now I'm always holier than now <laughs> god damn it um, but I just, I just like I, I, you know there's no, I've got nothing to gain from it personally or professionally and people who follow me have nothing to gain from it because I don't want to teach people the wrong lessons right I just, I just chose not to be part of it they then did a one year one um, and that was actually a really good. I, I did take part in that. Even one year is way too short, but it was at least it at least had the idea of, you know, diversified portfolio over an extended period of time. You could do okay. I think I finished second, mm-hmm. uh, which I was pretty happy about actually. Um, but uh, I got beat by Jessica Irvine, who did it even better than me. Uh, so yeah, like you know, there's it's a terrible, terrible thing. In terms of getting kids excited about investing, Michael, you would know better than I would because you're the teacher, mate. You know, you know kids, and I think. You know, if we if I have anything I return to, well, I return to a lot of things. If I have anything I return to regularly, it's the behavioural aspects of investing. And so, what I think the the you know the, the trick here is not the maths of investing. You talked about earlier, Andrew. It's not a it's not a science, right? There's nothing scientific about economics or investing. Um, there are some maths that go with it, and that maths is worth knowing. But getting people interested in investing is not about do they understand the maths or do they understand that you know it's 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 kind of what is going to turn them on. Mm. Literally, what's going to? I, I had a maths teacher. I don't, I don't know what kids want these days. I used to want a million dollars when I was a kid. <laughs> these days, it wouldn't buy you a Sydney house. So work that out. But um, 
you know, it, it, a maths teacher, I've said this before, year eight, I want to say maths teacher, Mr. Moyer, if he's listening, God love you, Mr. Moyer, thank you, told us as kids, and I can't remember the numbers, but it was something, I, I could probably reverse calculate it, but he said, if you save, I think it might have been $1,000 a year between 18 and 30, and never another dollar after that, you retire with a million dollars. And that's stuck in my head, right? Because while, it, while retirement feels like a bloody long way away, and imagine, you know, if you're a 14 year old kid, how, how do you talk to them about 25-year time period? Oh, so they, you, they, they, they consider that, right? a 33-year-old ancient, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. So uh, my, my nine-year-old loves telling my wife and I that we're old. He just ha- absolutely loves it, loves yeah. it. Um, doesn't help my wife responds to it and kind of makes, so it, makes it fun for him. But uh, look, so what I would do is I would you – know, you know your kids best, but I would try and turn them on to – personally, to what you get out of investment. Why would you do this? And the answer for me is in compounding. It's a small amount of money now, a much, much larger amount of money later. My nephew, it is a simple example, he's 15, I think. Sorry, Jaden, if you're listening. Uh, I've got that wrong, I think you're 15. Uh, he doesn't listen, so it's okay. Uh, he wants, to, he doesn't want to work. So for him, it's all about, hey, what if I can save and invest enough money now so I don't have to work? Now, he's going to have to work at some point in between, but that's what turns him on. And so that's what he's doing. That's why. That's, that's 100%, that is 100% my driver, by the way. Can I just confess right, to right. that? Right, right. So if you, can, <laughs> if you can find those motivations for those kids and then use the, you know, again, you know this, mate, you're a teacher. You know this much better than I do. So I'm not saying anything you don't know, hopefully. Um, I'm sure you'll even better ideas. But I literally would start with that. Start with the idea of what is it that's going to turn them on and then tell them this is how you do it. This is what you do. This is why you do it. Almost to our point about the, the previous question in terms of ETFs, like the how is nice and yes people like Lynch and Buffett have a lot to offer them in terms of how to invest well but just the just the compounding story is what I would I would focus on do you want to have a million dollars right here's what you need to do put a small amount of money aside regularly and then nothing after that and look how much money you'll have yeah. do you want to be a millionaire yes do you want not to work yes we'd like a nice house nice car my, my nine year old wants a Lamborghini okay mate here's what you need to do mm. whatever those things are mm. find the hook and then investing is often, not always, but often the answer for that. There's some really cool like analogies and um, metaphors and stuff out there that, that are really useful. Mm-hmm. I love, I've always loved the chessboard analogy where the, you, know, you put the grain oh, of rice on the first and then you rice. double it yeah, each time yeah. like, and ends up being more yep, rice than yep. the world's ever produced or something insane like that. <laughs> but there's all kinds of things that yeah. hook into it. I know what, for me, yep. the early grab was this idea that, wait, I can own part of that business, but I don't have to uh-huh. work there or do anything. <laughs> yeah, yes. And they share their profits. Dividend checks, mate, dividend they checks. They share their profits, that, that is, you know. I still love that. Oh, seriously, dividends still drop my account. I'm like, I did nothing for that. That's so yeah. good. Yeah, here's, <laughs> I love here's some money. And uh, in return, you just give yeah. me a stream of, of cash forever. It's, 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 exactly. very, it's very kind of um, yeah, a, a, nice. a, appealing. So it's- Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think the last thing you want to do is-, is, is, is um, overcomplicated or anything like that. It's just any, any kind of subject Correct. when you put up too many barriers, it's like, ugh, it seems it's way too Correct. hard. And that. You, you've got to yeah. always back to the basics, always the first principles. It's just, you, you'll, you'll find that it, it's compelling enough as an area. Most mm-hmm. most people mm-hmm. will at least sort of recognize the, the magic that's in it. Yeah. Yes, I think that's I think that's right. And yeah, that's it is it's, I mean look we t- say this so regularly. I hope I hope people are listening, right? Because like we love picking stocks is what we do for a quid. But you can get 90% of the result just from doing the really, really, really... You do three things to get a spectacularly good result, yeah. right? If you want a bit more, then put the time and effort into investing and pick stocks and understand businesses and whatever. But you're going to get maybe 90%, whatever the number is, 75, 85, 95, whatever the numbers are, it doesn't really matter. You're going to have a, a stupidly large amount of money just from doing the very basics roughly right, mm. you know? And by all means, then go and make it, you know, we we put the effort and time in because we want to try and get a little better again and hopefully the time and effort's worth it. But that's kind of the, you know, that's kind of the story. I always think too, it's, anyway. it's worth... It's too easy to always bring it back mm-hmm. to money and I want money and I want to be rich and I want the Lamborghini. It's just very associated with all of this. I've, I've yeah. long thought, and I've said to you many times before, if I win the Powerball, I'd still be doing it. I think, I think that yeah. the study of this is, is worth it in its own right because if you're at all curious mm-hmm. as to the world that we live in and how it works, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, this, is a, this is a big part of society and, and how, how everything sort of functions together. It's sort of handy to sort of mm-hmm. have an understanding of how all these sort of gadgets end up in my house and the lifestyle that I lead and the decisions that get made and the framework within that, how it's sort of done. It's sort of, it's, it's, it's what I love about finance and investing is that unlike other areas, it touches everything. You can get in on you can go down a rabbit hole on mining, on manufacturing, on you can get into economics, you get into sociology, you get into politics, as we often demonstrate on this podcast. It just touches everything, you know? It's just sort of, mm-hmm. it's it's this 
big system that we all sort of live within. So I just find it fascinating in in terms of in terms of you know how the world works. It, it almost behooves you to to even if you're even if you're you're born with a silver spoon in your mouth and you'll never need to worry about it, and even if you've got no interest in it whatsoever, it's sort of like it's probably the kind of stuff that should be taught at school anyway because of its significance. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Mate, let's go to two quick questions from an anonymous listener who, again, I will remind you, if you're going to ask me a question, please put you want to be anonymous at the top. This person didn't, but luckily they did at the bottom and I scrolled down far enough while you were chatting and I didn't make a mistake. So uh, with, with, with that warning for anybody else who wants to be anonymous, please put it at the top of the email. Hi, Scott and Andrew. New time listener, first time investor. Love the pod. Two questions. I'm a 20-year-old bastard who has recently and very fortunately come into an unexpected and substantial inheritance now um, i will say my my uh my sympathies for your loss i'm not sure why and how but uh they they come obviously usually not with um with good circumstances but uh, so my uh, my sympathies but but obviously let's get to the financial impact now i know you can't give specific advice he says so i won't give you specific information thank you after maxing out my super contribution for the year i've ha- invested half of my inheritance into shares with roughly 60% ETFs and 40% individual shares. My question is, as a young person, what is an optimal percentage of my wealth to invest? Considering I'll probably look at buying a property to live in in about five years. I guess a broader question is, what should I consider about investing a large sum of money as a young person? So I like this, Ram. He's maxed out his super. And then of the inheritance, he's put half the inheritance to shares. I assume by, by exception, the other half still in cash, probably waiting to buy that property in about five years' time. Mm-hmm. If you were 20, mate, again, we can't give this person personal advice. If you were 20 again and you had a decent inheritance, would you put half in shares and half in cash and wait five years and buy a property or would you do something I'd else? put a much higher percentage in shares or investments. I'll show you more generally. And so one of the great yeah, things yeah, about, yeah. one of the great, well, there's a lot of great things about being young, but one of the great things about, well, <laughs> I, I guess by definition is that you've got so much time in front of you. So yeah, if yeah. there's an asper- if there's not a hard limit on when you want to buy a property, but it's just you know it's out about five years, you mm. one there's very few five year periods on the market where you end up making a loss. So it generally tends to be a pretty pretty good um, setup. Um, but if it if it does so happen that the market's in a funk in five years time and it only pushes your plans back one or two years, that's not really a massive change to your life trajectory. You know, it's not it's yeah. not huge. Um, and and I'm. I'm always keen to emphasize the risk in cash. People talk about cash as riskless and it's like, well, that's true uh, because I'll, you know, if I've got a term deposit, I'll always get out what I, what I put in, but you know, inflation is real. And in this higher inflation environment, it's very, very freaking real. Um, so, so a five year, <laughs> over five years, Easily. you could lose 20% of your purchasing power in cash. So when you don't have a hard limit like that, I'm not saying put it necessarily all, and certainly if it is all invested, it doesn't have to be all invested in shares, and certainly within that, there's higher risk and lower risk as well. But mm-hmm. I, I would, with, with the ability to to not be wedded to a, a set date in the future, I'd be, and with five years is a substantial amount of time, I'd be tempted to go 80, 90%, just me. And again, everyone's, everyone's sort of different. Um, yeah, for all the reasons I said. Nice. I... Um I can't disagree with that, mate. I I think as long as you have the temperament to see it through, um, then it's. I think it's absolutely the right thing to do. I would be inclined if you have no time pressure at all, invest a whole lot in shares. Uh, you want to maximise the return you're getting, and particularly with that inflation tax, as Andrew mentions. Mate, his second question. Oh, can I just add to that? Though? How, can I just oh, please, before yeah, we move please. on from that? I think the Sorry, having yeah. having made the decision to whatever percentage you want to invest in quote unquote shares, the sixty forty of etf versus direct picks i think smart like you know it's just it's it's worth having i don't want to be critical because i don't know the level of experience or whatever but you know we all yeah we all err and and the earlier we are on in our investing career we're, we're more likely to err so having mm-hmm. a substantial chunk in etfs helps sort of protect you from yourself the reality yeah. is if the market yeah. goes well you're still going to benefit massively from from having an etf you know and you still get to have a, a little bit more of the excitement and, and the learning experience by by picking direct shares but i, I don't know if i would go 100 percent direct picks myself um unless you're extremely confident in what you're doing yeah i would i would actually uh, even it, it, it's a it's a very large amount of money and an amount of money from the sound of it that probably won't be um replaced or, or matched by income saving for a very long time which means you really do want to make sure you're not you know 
Yeah, yeah. Don't don't pick three shares and, and lose a third of your money because you do a, you do a bad job. That's going to make you feel terrible. Yep. You're going to hate us, um, and you're going to put yourself back. So make sure it's. I'd almost go all ETF, particularly twenty year old. If you haven't picked stocks before, I don't think I don't think I want to be picking individual stocks with windfall. I got to say, Ram, I'd, I'd rather do that with small amounts of money I'm adding to the market over time, and yeah. you know, make that the process. It, it depends it, on the amount, imagine. though, right? Like, I just I'm just going to pick a number out of the air. Let's say it's a million bucks, and you yeah. decide that you want to yeah. muck around yeah. with yeah. a twenty grand portfolio. I think that's you know, yeah. Oh, totally. Yes, yes, yes. That's true. Yeah, yes. The percentage, percentage wise, I think that's the key. Yeah. But don't, but don't. No matter the amount of money, you don't put ten grand or ten stocks or hundred grand or ten stocks and, and hope that you do okay. Because if you screw up a couple, yes. You listen to your mate who says buy three lithium companes and two, you know, crypto exchanges yep. or something, and all. So you, you, know, you lose half your cash. So just, just be careful. Uh, second one, quickly, as we finish off, he says, my second relates to a how to invest a large sum of cash, either all at once or dollar cost average over a period of time. We have asked answer this before, but uh, we have a new listener. And I want to do that justice. A quick side note, he says, your podcast, as well as, other, other, as well as a few other similar outlets like Barefoot, have really helped me grapple with my situation and have provided me with excellent information about what to do with my money. This is you editorializing again. Totally, that's what I do. Um, None of this is real, mate. We, we, have, we haven't had a real listener question in six months. We have three listeners, your mum, my mum, and, and some other random stranger. We've never got a single question from the mailbag. I work bloody hard to come up with well, You do a great job. Numbers. You do a great job. Thank you, thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, this, we'll do this one quickly. So it's, it, you, don't, you don't know what will be the optim, optimum situation until you look back and go, oh, I should have put it all in on that day or <laughs> you know, I should have waited. You, yeah. you just don't know. So the... Yep. The safer play is is the dollar cost averaging because you know by by definition you are going to get more of an average. Um, that being said, again, given the age, given the time frame, I would probably be more tempted to front weight it. You know, again, you may end up regretting it if the market drops another twenty percent from here and you think oh, I could have could have bought in at an even better better price. Um, it's just that there, you know, again the. the there are there are costs on both sides. It may be that the market, you know, slowly but surely just edges up from here. And every year that or you know month that you wait longer, you're actually it's costing you money. You just don't know, which is why I say you that that, that is the attractiveness of of the dollar cost averaging. But it doesn't have to be a linear thing either. I mean, it's, as I keep saying, you can you can dial up things up or down here. So it might be that you're more sort of logarithmically weight in. So maybe in year one you put in. 30%, then you put in 20% and 10 I don't know, you sort of like put it put it along a curve where you're, you're front loading the the investment, but still spreading it out a bit. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I, I've said many times before for listeners who listen regularly, mathematically, the market goes up more than it goes down. And so if you, if you took a million different examples of this, uh, investing it sooner rather than later is mathematically, statistically, mm-hmm. more likely to give you a better return. Um, but you're 20 and if the market falls 15% and you hate me and hate yourself and pull the money out and freak out, then I don't want you to do that either. Uh, the benefit of dollar cost averaging to Ram's point, just to kind of throw that a little bit, is if the market falls, you get to buy the next shares at a cheaper price, so you feel good. If the market goes up, you've already made a profit, so you feel good. So, you know, human psychology is human psychology. We're very, very good at, at um self-justification of fooling ourselves and i don't say that about you dear listener uh, who i can't name uh but it's just every, everyone's the same we all feel that mm. way right like you know if i've got some cash on the sidelines the market's like oh thank goodness i can invest this cheaper um even though my portfolio has lost probably more than the amount of money i'm going to put in i feel better about buying at cheaper prices right which is dumb it just it just is mm. um and but but it's real like it's really real because we're just emotional creatures and that's what we do so again um math uh, academically I would say I invested all, if it was me, I'd invest all at once. I've said before I did that for my mother-in-law. I invested a large amount of money literally on one day. Uh, I bought 19 different companies literally on one day. It was like bang, 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 done. Mm. It, was, it was a crazy, it's a, it's a hell of an experience, Andrew, can yeah. I say. Uh, when you invest all that money in one go, it's, it's weird. Yeah. Uh, but, um, but, but honestly, on, on behalf of other people, I, I think over time is going to give you the most, emo- I'll say emotional safety. It's not like a weird jargony mm. kind of, you know, whatever word but i think you want to you want to do it in such a way that it makes you feel good about it gives you the best chance of continuing with the process and so for most people that might be doing it over over an extended period of time when i say extended i'm talking i don't know weeks months i'm not talking years can i just say what a great a problem to have uh you know if you find yourself if you find yourself deliberating this you know this quandary uh you know there there are worse problems in life But the, the important thing is, the important thing is, is that I, I think what's so impressive here, you've got a, a young person, the age of 20, yep. making just such an insanely sensible 
decision <laughs> and and thinking about it in exactly the right way. It's like again, we often we often get to the point on this podcast where we sort of we're fine <laughs> fine tuning things at the end. Just just the rec- yeah. there'd be uh, there'd be plenty of other people who would go, oh, jackpot. Let's let's go to Vegas and buy the Ferrari, you know, and then they, they, all that money's gone, <laughs> and and they're sitting, there, you know, ten years later they're thirty, going, what oh. did I do? Versus oh. versus, the, oh, my apologies for that. Versus the other yeah. the other person who, um, you know, just just right from day one invests it and then it benefits that for the rest of their their long lived days. Mm. Yes. That's very true. It's a it's a very 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 good problem to have. Uh, we have reached the end of our podcast, which is good news. If you want to go and do something else, it's bad news for me because the next one I record is going to be a Bitcoin podcast, and God knows I'll need some extra strength for that one. So I'm going to go and have a mid- lunchtime drink. No, I'm kidding. Uh, we will be back. Uh, we will be back next Friday with a live, or well, not live, but a a, a uh, real time podcast recording, uh, and then we have. Don't forget. We have a whole lot of podcasts stacked up for you over the holidays. We're not going to leave you without a podcast. So now is a great time to make sure you subscribe to the series if you haven't yet. Great time to tell your friends. A lot of other podcasts taking a break over the holidays. That's fine. They deserve it. Uh, They've done well. We are going to keep bringing you brand new content. So don't. Don't give up on the podcast. If you're going away, make sure you download them while you're away. We will keep you company. It's, it's just a grand plan to capture the ratings because when there's when there's no competition, you're gonna you're gonna rank pretty well in those weeks, right? If it's the only podcast oh. that's released on Christmas see, Day, well, see, you, yeah, think about it. <laughs> you say that, and then we're we're gonna be get beaten by some sort of big grade mash rerun or something. It's like you know, a twelve year old from their from their bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about exactly. Minecraft. <laughs> yes, uh, there. We, we hope we hope that's the case. Um, if we if we do manage to do that, thank you for our listeners for doing that. If not, it's all your fault. So uh, we shall go from there, uh, mate. I will see you next Friday. Yep, see you then. Full on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691.